0: We hope you'll enjoy this episode of Women Worth Knowing. Make sure you rate us on your podcast app, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Hello, this is Cheryl Broderson in studio with... Robin Jones-Gunn. And we're here with another woman worth knowing. And this is actually part two. I know. I've been looking forward to this. It's so good. Go, Cheryl, go. I want to hear the rest. Okay, so (laughs) we're talking about Lillian Trasher, who has just arrived in Egypt at the Apostolic Faith Mission in Aswit. And the members of that mission house are not quite sure about Lillian. They think she's a little bit too, um, what do I say, rambunctious or naive. Well, and let's remind the listeners, she is six feet tall. That's right. And she's only 25 at this point. Yeah. So she's young. She's kind of naive. She hasn't been there. He's wizened. He's lived there. And, you know, he lives in this compound, this kind of Western compound. And she just loves everything Egypt. And like, she grew up in Florida and right. in the South. and right. What an anomaly. So she, she's, okay yeah. heat, you know? yeah. <laughs> she's okay with the heat. She's okay with the heat. That's true. So this one night, they're all at the mission house. When there's a knock at the door, I figured I'll do a sound oh, I like that. <laughs> there's a knock at the door. It's a very powerful knock, and there's a man. and he says, "Come, you must help me, you must help me." And Lillian doesn't understand what he's saying because she's only been there for three months. So she doesn't understand what he's saying, but she um she Volunteers to go with him. And so then Reverend B- Railsford says, OK, but you've got to take Camille. And Selma says, Selma, friend, I'll go with you. So they go and he leads them through all these huts and down closer to the Nile into this Uh, impoverished area where the huts are really close together and the the little farming area is really small. And they go into this dark hut where she can barely see. She has to let her eyes become accustomed to the darkness. And there's this young girl. And according to Lillian, she couldn't be more than like 13 or 14 years old. And she's had this baby. And the baby Uh is probably about Well, Lillian doesn't know, but she's guessing like three or four months old. And this old lady is holding the baby, just kind of rocking back and forth and just glaring. And the young girl just keeps saying something in Arabic over and over again. And Camille said, she wants you to take her baby. She says, take my baby, save my baby. So Lillian promises the woman that she will, she'll take the baby. So the woman dies and the man just leaves. And the old woman says, You can have the baby in Arabic. I was going to throw her into the Nile anyway. It's just a girl.
1: It's just a
0: girl. It's just a girl. And the baby is caked in filth. It stinks. The baby stinks. It's got its hair is all matted. Its skin is peeling away in places. And they realize um, they take the baby, they get it back to the mission house, and the baby is just screaming, screaming, screaming. And the baby is starving. So they begin to bathe the baby. And all of Lillian's experience with babies and orphans comes back to her. And she begins to gently wash the baby. And they have to be so careful because the baby is so fragile and um, Selma friend goes and she finds some cloths and makes diapers and um, begins to sew an outfit for the baby and they realize that the clothes on the baby have been sewn on and they're just felt they're just awful so they have to carefully cut the clothes off the baby Mm -hmm. even as they're washing the baby and they get a little dropper full of um, sterilized milk that Jenny has sterilized and prepared and they have to put it in the baby's mouth by a dropper full and Lillian has to massage the baby's throat just to get her to swallow it and the baby can't take it at first but they just pour over this baby well the baby screams and screams and screams all night long so the next morning you know all the mission houses just kind of you know has that blurry eyed Mm -hmm. look and this goes on for about a month and after a month Reverend Burlesford says, you can't keep that baby. We've taken a vote. You have to take that baby back to where where you found it. And she said, I can't. They'll drown the baby. The baby's just beginning to, you know, have health. And I've named her um, Farida, which uh, means exceptional and unique, kind of like the feminine of El Hanan. And mm-hmm. she says, I, I can't. You know, they'll throw her into the Nile River. And Reverend brawlsford said, look, I'm in charge of this mission house, and we can't have that child. So you have to take her back. And Lillian says, it means certain death. I will not take her back. I will leave and I'll take care of this baby. And he says, where are you going to go? You barely know Arabic. You think you can just leave? And she said, yes. So she takes the baby and she just goes on this walk. And she finds this three-story house about a block away, maybe two blocks away, that's two pounds, um, two English pounds a month and she has just enough money from support and so she pays the rent and the place is filthy but jenny says i'm going with you so jenny comes <laughs> jenny and she set to cleaning it up and jenny takes some money that she has and they buy furniture they get palm branches they make their own mattresses and they set up housekeeping with this little baby so they've been there for about a couple of weeks when this man comes to their door and he brings a four-year-old boy and a six-year-old girl and says, I can't keep them. These are my brother's children and his, their parents have both died. Will you take care of these children? And Lillian says, yes. And then she begins to pray, Lord, I don't have any money. They've run out of money. They don't know what to do. And she says, Lord, how are we going to provide for orphans? We don't even have any income. Hardly anyone knows we're here. And this messenger boy comes with a message from somebody. And he says, are you the woman who's taking in the children, the Egyptian children? And she said, yes, I am. And this little messenger boy Put something in her hand. It's 35 cents. The e- Equal to 35 cents. It's it's just enough to buy a little bit of rice. But the Lord says, I'll supply. You wow. just do what I tell you to do. Well, and You know,
1: here's where she's on the train and meets this divine encounter. The woman says, I think you're supposed to come help me at my orphanage in Georgia. Right. The, no. Uh,
0: nor- North uh, Carolina. North Carolina. And the South.
1: Right. Yes. And... She says, I don't know anything about babies, but she says yes, and she does that, and the Lord has prepared her for what's next, even though her thought was just short-circuit the, the path, like we all do, like, shortcut it, like, I just want to go yeah. be a missionary. Yeah. The Lord goes, okay, I'm going to take five years to prepare you first for what I have for you when you get to eat.
0: So she wow. only arrived in Auschwitz in November. This is February of the next year. I mean, it's just like three months later that she's moving out. So on July thirteenth, 1911, so they've been in that place now for a few months. A second boy arrives, and they take him in. He's an orphan, but he's sick. And they realize he has bubonic plague. So they take him to the American Presbyterian Hospital. And you realize that this is actually divine because she gets to know the staff at the American Presbyterian Hospital. And they believe in what she's doing. And this friendship forms that the American Presbyterian Hospital will be involved with this orphanage, which never has a name. It ends up being the Lillian Trasher uh, orphanage. It's still (laughs) in existence today. You're kidding. No, which is so exciting. But this friendship forms between the hospital staff and Lillian Trasher and this orphanage. But the little boy gets better. And as he's getting better, Lillian gets bubonic plague, and it leaves her with heart issues. So remember, that's 1911. So now um, she's getting more children, not that many. You know, she has three, then four, then five. Um, 1914, World War I um, starts, and many Egyptians are conscripted into the, the war. It's not their war, but they're conscripted into it by the English. And... Many of the men die, leaving these widows and these orphans. So she's getting more orphans. She's up to eight now. Then at this point, she's got these eight orphans. And Farida's father returns for her. She's now four or five years old. She's healthy. She's beautiful. And he's a Muslim. And he wants his daughter back. And Farida screams. She protests. She cries. She tries to grab onto Lillian. She doesn't want to leave. But Lillian is powerless because he's a muslim to do anything about it mm. and he takes the little girl and she goes to prayer for the little girl uncertain of what that little girl farida who she just loved its future is and um she's grieving and she finds out within two months that little farida has died and she says oh. lord that was your mercy to take her to heaven oh. with you it, she felt it was a mercy because she had no idea what her life would have been like in that home with that father and with the stepmother. In 1915, she hears of this property for 50 pounds right on the Nile River. So Lillian has to ask permission. So she goes to the governor of Aswet and she shares her vision. And the governor is so excited. He loves her the vision. And he said, yes, you can do this. And he grants her permission. So now she says, well, how are we going to build it? So she teaches her orphans. She has somebody come in and teach her orphans and her how to make bricks. So they start making their own bricks for the mission. And then they find, hands yes, they find <laughs> a man who will put it all together for them, this you know builder. And he says, you know, these are the finest bricks. They are, they are like super great, great quality bricks. And, you know, it's going to go great. So they're really excited about building this when, when he says, "Now we need money for the foundation. She said, but we have bricks. He said, you, you can't do the foundation out of bricks. The bricks are made out of mud. You get a flood, you get water, you get rain, you lose your floor. You have to have them out of this other material so they don't have the money. But she decides she's got a donkey that she's going to go out And ask people. And she's going to go among the farmers and anyone in Aswit and tell them her vision. She goes to Muslims and Christians alike, and they begin to give her. And she finds, believe it or not, that the most generous are the poorest. The Falan are so excited about Mm -hmm. what she's doing, and they know the story of Farida. So they're giving her money um, because she's loving their orphans. She's loving their people. In fact, um, her best friends become the farmer's wives and the women of Aswet. Now, she feeds the children a diet of Egyptian food, which is beresa, and Lillian hates it. It's a bean and garlic pasty stew, but they have to eat it. It's just something they eat every day. And she and her sister, they make palm branch mattresses, and Lillian um, continues to seek all the funds by going whoever she has to in Aswit. but this actually gets her really good and friends with everybody which is like a really great thing
1: and let's just say her sister is still with her that's a curious thing he
0: is still with her how many years has it been now well she's i think she stayed 10 altogether she's gonna leave pretty soon i think she leaves after but she can't leave right now because it's world war one so she can't leave anyway but so in um The governor marvels, though, that she rides this donkey all over Aswit, this white woman who's six feet tall, and she's beautiful, and she's never harmed or attacked, ever. Never robbed, not once, on her donkey. In 1916, the first orphanage building is erected. In 1917, she has 50 orphans. In 1918, she decides that she must accept widows, too. Because she realized these widows are coming with their children. They have no support, no one to support them. And she wants to just have orphans, but she realizes, I can't turn away the widows. And again, I'm your girl if I can ever do anything for you. So she begins to employ the widows, and they begin to— She teaches them the care of the children. So they begin to help take care of the children. They begin to um, make the food, become the cooks, help clean, help train. Um, They're just become this incredible blessing and they don't want any money. All they want is housing and their children taken care of. So she, um, she ends up um starting a school for the children, too, and she teaches them English. And she wants the boys to learn a trade. So they begin to learn the trade of furniture making and leather making. And their goods are such high quality that the boys take them every Saturday to the bazaar in the middle of town and they sell them. And that's how they also make money for the mission. The girls are taught, not only are they taught English, they're given a full education, but they're also taught to sew and to clean and to cook, and then she puts the older girls in charge of the young babies. So every girl that's like 12 or 13, she has six children. So they learn to nurture and to take care of these children, and they take care of those children until the children are old enough to take care of other children. In 1918, um, Jenny, her sister, returns to Long Beach. But by 1920, the Orphanage is fully operational with the school, but in 1919 unrest um, happens in Egypt. The falah, um, one of the falah, one of the farmers who raised birds for food, an Englishman just for sport shoots the birds, and the man's thinking that's my food, that's my income, and so he begins to chase this Englishman, and the Englishman is older and out of shape, and he has a heart attack and dies. So the English the English who are occupying Egypt decide to arrest him and five other farmers and put them before a public firing squad. This just creates this unrest and kind of this, almost this terrorism that happens in Egypt. She's got 107 orphans now. She's ordered to Cairo for rest. And um While she's in Cairo, supposedly resting, she sees this blind man about to throw this baby into the Nile River, and she stops him. And the baby's name is Lila, and she takes Lila back to the orphanage with her. And Lila becomes like her best friend, her protege, and actually grows up to to help with the orphanage. Now, when she gets back, the orphanage is attacked by these angry Egyptian men. And so she sees them come through. So they secretly evacuate all the children and they get them to this brick kiln that's right off the property. But she realizes that she's forgotten two little girls and everyone's like, you can't go back. You can't go back. And she said, you know, no orphan left behind. And she goes back and she's able to scoop up the two little girls and she goes running because she hears the men and she she hears them cocking guns. And she feels like even a bullet whiz past her. And she falls into a ditch and she twists her ankle. But because she's in this ditch, they walk over and they can't find her and they don't see her. And she's covering the little, um, they're like two-year-olds. She's covering the toddler's mouth so they don't cry out because one actually cut um, her, her face open but she doesn't cry by a miracle so she gets them to the brick kiln and they're all safe and then they think they're out of danger but the rod, marauders come back about two weeks later and now lillian they've got lillian against the wall and they're threatening to kill her and just do damage to the orphanage when all of a sudden she sees this little man, one of the farmers, the falat, in the middle of him saying, oh, no, you won't. And then he comes <laughs> and stands in front of Lillian and he's like, over my dead body, she loves our children. Oh. She's not English. She's American <laughs> because the English are so hated. And yes. so the next thing she knows, they just leave. And she doesn't know how. They just, oh. that little farmer, and he's gone too. And she's like. Okay, we're safe. So in 1920, the English order Lillian out of Egypt. They tell her she can't stay because it's become too dangerous with the marauders and the orphanage is safer if it has only um, Egyptians there. So... She goes to the United States in 1920, and she begins to tell everybody about the orphanage and what she's doing. And she garners support from people, and they say they're going to support There's her. There's just this pattern of her availability
1: yes. and not to right. push back against, no, That's no, right. no, I have to stay here. Right. She just goes where she the goes with leads She goes with the flow, her. right. And from having brought
0: in the widows, she has it fully Manage. Exactly. And it's exactly ready to and go. Layla too. She's she's yes. growing up and she's helping a yes. lot too. So in 1921, uh, she's back, and the Sultan visits and he loves everything he sees and he donates. By 1924, she has 300 children. And there's some wealthy Egyptian women in Aswat, and they cannot stand seeing Lillian still on this. Donkey. And there have been some mishaps with the donkey that I didn't get into because it's, you just have to read the book, but they're kind of comical and <laughs> tragic at the same time. Mm-hmm. So they buy her a car and the, the boys are growing up and they want to go to the other towns and evangelize. They love preaching, and she's teaching them that because that's what she did when she was at El hanan Orphanage. She would go out and preach. So she's telling them these stories. So the boys say, we want to go out and preach. So they go out to these rural um, villages, and they begin to preach the gospel. In 1927, this revival breaks out among the orphans as they're praying. You know, she has this prayer time in this Bible study, but all of a sudden one begins to cry and say, God, I'm a sinner and I want to know mm. you and be close to you. And then another one, and they start Incredible. confessing their sins and crying. And they all they all want to receive the Lord. But at the same time in 1927, um, a Swedish orphanage, now she was the first orphanage in Egypt, but now the Swedes have come, and they started an orphanage and one of the Swedish men spanks an Egyptian girl who's a Muslim and she goes to the authorities and said she they spanked me because they thought that I they tried to convert me and because I wouldn't convert to Christianity uh, they spanked me and beat me he beat me so the Egyptian government gets really upset and they decide that No Christian orphanage can have Muslim children. They have to divide them. So they come Mm. and they take. Now, at this point, she has 750 orphans. That's incredible. But 100 of them are Muslim. And here she is. She's been feeding and taking care of them. And they said, we'll take care of them. We'll find families for them. And as these Muslim children are being taken out of the orphanage, they are sobbing yeah. they are crying they're clinging to her and she says they might take you away but i'll never stop praying for you your names are written down and i will pray yeah. for each one and she's hugging each one as they leave and even the men the muslim men who are so hard they're they're looking at her like i i don't know how i feel about this well, and
1: especially she's this such is a an love. area where there had been that um great community yes. between the
0: christians and muslims right. for Generations. And now that pulling apart. Plus, the education that she was giving these children gave them an advantage. They could speak English. They had these skills um, and they were getting um, many of them went to college. After going to the orphanage, they went on to college. So um, Lillian gets this idea about this time. She has 650 orphans to have the orphans make flyers that they color and they paint that talks about what the mission is and what they're doing at this orphanage. So she would go um, to the dock whenever a tourist ship would come in to ask what, you know, what is it, the— um, murder on the nile you know those those nile ships (laughs) that are going down with all the tourists and she would go on and she or when they were coming off the gangplank she would pass them out and tell about the um mission well the people that ran the boats did not like her and she got ridiculed and a lot of people were like mean to her but she hears this voice one time and it's this young woman and she's from scotland and she said My father has got to hear about this. So she comes to the orphanage with her father, who is Lord Macaulay, and he's from Scotland. He absolutely loves what he sees. So he says, I am going to be a benefactor from now on for you. And um, he tells her he's going to give her 5,000 pounds, but she has to spend some of it on herself. And so she's just like, oh, you don't know what that will do. But he gives 20,000 pounds. Because he wants, he really believes in it. But now, remember, this is like 1935, 36, Mm -hmm. World War II breaks out. She can't get any of the support from America or from England. And it's a good thing she has that money because that's just making it through World War II. And the conditions get so desperate that Lillian is even considering closing the orphanage because there's, no money, no funds. So she shares it with the children. I'm afraid you're going to have to make your own way. I can't afford to. I can't feed you. How can I take care of you? The children immediately respond by falling on their knees and beginning to pray, saying, <laughs> Lord, you have met every need. We know you'll meet this need. Give Lillian faith. Lord, you'll meet this need. So she's like, I don't think so. At oh. the same time as she's saying this. These British soldiers arrive and say, you know, you're wanted at the British consulate. So she goes to the British consulate thinking, oh, no, are they going to send me home again because of World War II? Instead, they tell her that the Red Cross ship, the Cassandra, was en route to Greece with emergency supplies that they can no longer take to Greece because— Um, Germany has taken over and is occupying Greece. So they were going to dump the cargo when a Scottish Mm. um, soldier, sailor, stops them and says, no, you've got to take this stuff to Lillian Trasher's orphanage. And they're like, who's Lillian Trasher? (laughs) So he's just so adamant that they cannot do it. And he's like, I've got to talk to somebody. So they summon Lillian and they tell her, you know, we've got all these supplies, which include— Two thousand six dresses, nineteen hundred sweaters, nineteen hundred pairs of boys' shoes, towels, mattresses, sacks of rice, powdered milk, and so much more. It's like it's like seven truckloads of, of <gasps> supplies. And she's just so excited but she realizes. She doesn't have any way to get him back to the orphanage. So she's listening to this, and she's really excited. And they said, and of course, we're delivering everything to you. (laughs) And so the abundance just keeps overflowing. (laughs) In comes everything to the orphanage. Now, in 1938, a journalist from Reader's Digest hears about this orphanage, and he comes and spends the week and writes an article um, that brings more support. By 1941, she has 2,000 orphans, and then 1947, there's a cholera outbreak, and um, she loses quite a few children. But the American Presbyterian, um, they're sending nurses and doctors to the orphanage to help. So they just get over the cholera ep- uh, epidemic when all of a sudden a fire breaks out in the boys' dormitory, and they have to evacuate all the boys, and. They're, they've called the fire department, but nobody's coming. So she gets the boys, and they do like the bucket brigade, mm-hmm. and these boys are putting out the fire. Her teenagers, her her boys are working on the fire when all of a sudden she remembers and she realizes that she just bought 150 barrels of kerosene, and the kitchen is right next to the boys' dormitory, and she's thinking, Oh, the boys aren't safe. If it reaches the kitchen, everybody dies. So she begins to pray, and suddenly the fire goes out. Wow. The fire goes out before the brigade doesn't get there for another three hours. And the fire is totally out, and it just came so close to the kitchen, but never Never touched it. So they take inventory. Not one boy is lost. the The boys' dorm is gone; it's ashes. But not one mm. boy is even harmed. Uh, they They don't even have a mark on them.
1: And this is at a time when there were two thousand children in the orphanage. That's right. That's right. Amazing.
0: Now, in 1953, the prime minister of Egypt visits, and he commends her. In 1956, a documentary. Um, was made called Mother of the Nile, and it brings in regular support, especially from America, because at this point the orphanage costs over fifty thousand dollars a year to mm. support. And she has no money; she's never even had a you know a normal job that makes money. So Lillian then goes to um, the U.S. and travels from church to church, and she ends up speaking at this church in Texas. When she returns, she finds out that the church in Texas has sent her washing machines. She never had washing machines before. They were doing all the washing by hands. like everyone is so excited about these washing machines. And um, Jenny comes back with her, sells her two houses in Long Beach and says, no, I belong in Egypt with you. This is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. That's (laughs) amazing. In 1959, a car arrives in Egypt sent from one of the churches in America, brand new. But Lillian can't afford the custom fees because it's 100% of the car, exactly what the car costs in America. That's what they want to charge with the custom fees. But somebody tells the government offices in Egypt, and they waive all the fees for Miss Trasher. So at this point, many of the the orphans are grown up, and Lillian's favorite thing is to take care of the babies and to play with the toddlers and then to go and visit her grown-up orphans, now with families, impressive jobs, and churches, and she finds that many of the boys, uh, the children of the orphans, have been named Trasher, <laughs> and the girls have been named Lillian. Uh. In 1959, uh, Layla dies, um, her little companion, and she is just grief-stricken. In 1960, Lillian begins to have dizzy spells and goes back to the U.S. for one more visit, In 1961, she's returned, and her duties are greatly reduced. Um, The orphans have taken over the orphanage. They are running it uh, full-time, and uh, they're doing a a great job. And so they said, look, you just visit. You just have a good time. We'll take care of everything. Um, Lillian goes to bed on December 16, 1961, in Aswet, Egypt, and wakes up in the morning in the presence of the Lord. Mm. But she was the first orphanage in Egypt. She was the first to accept blind orphans and to bring Braille into the orphanage. She was um, the first to accept widows, and she was the first to train and teach as well as house and feed orphans. So she's buried at the orphanage's cemetery because they did that for the little ones that died of the cholera. They had their own little um, cemetery so the kids could visit the graves. Um, the orphanage is now fully supported by the Presbyterian Church of Egypt, the Soul Salvation Society of Egypt, and other Egyptian churches. And some estimate that Lillian took care of 10,000 orphans, but others put the number at 25,000. The orphanage is still going today, and it's the largest orphanage in Egypt. And that's why Lillian Trasher <laughs> is such a woman worth knowing. On. Um, uh, 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 unbelievable. I mean, believable
1: because she was God's yeah. girl. God's girl. But I love that connection between the first orphan, it's just a girl, we're going to throw her in the That's river. Right. just a girl. And Lillian knew it's not just a girl. Right. It's God's girl. It's
0: Farida. It's Farida, yeah. yes. So we're so glad that our listeners joined us because we love these women. I fell in love with Lillian Trasher. And then when if you watch the video... On Vimo, you will fall in love with her too. Right now, you'll be like, "Yep, I love her." And so it's it's kind of hard when you finish one of these because you're like. I love her, though. I want to talk more. I love her. I, I, but I just think how much, you know, in heaven, I'm going to have my list of I want to see this person. And I want to see this person, you know. Seriously, we are going to have such
1: an amazing time yes. feeling like, oh, there you are. I know your story. I, yes.
0: I want to hear all the parts that weren't already right. listed. That's right. Oh, that's Beautiful. So we're out of time for this episode, and we, we're coming back next week with more Women Worth Knowing, aren't we, Robin? Yes, we are, and we can't wait. That's right. Thanks so, for joining us. That's right. Until next week, goodbye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and our new co-host, Robin Gunn. For more information about Cheryl, visit CherylBroderson.com or follow her on Instagram or Facebook. For more information about Robin, visit robingunn.com, that's gun with two N's, or follow her on Instagram and Facebook. If you think there is a woman worth knowing, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at wwk at We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Make sure you've subscribed and don't forget to rate us on your podcast app and share it with friends. Thank you again for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Robin Gunn.